they were such professionals, right? They were so polished. And even more importantly, like they were black, they were brown like me. Hello, this is Tab Bartley, and you are listening to the Oath We Took podcast, the show that tells the Marine Corps story through the Marines that served. This is the third episode, and I am joined today by Paris Capers. He is the reason for this podcast. I know so many amazing Marines who hesitate to tell their stories. Their stories hold so much power and so many life lessons. Oftentimes, though, they go untold. Not every Marine story is the same. What is the same is the oath that we all took. Today, I'm honored to share a piece of Paris's story. Capers and I were young PFCs at Quantico. He is one of the main reasons why I loved my time in the Marine Corps, and I'm excited to have him join me to talk about why he joined the Marine Corps, what his plans are now that he has decided to get out, and of course, how we survived not being eaten by first sergeants. So the first question I have for you is why did you decide to join the Marine Corps? Yeah, I, I joined the Marine Corps like so many young men. Um, and you know, like part of it was part of it was heartbreak, right? So I was a young man, I was a teenager, and you know, I had just experienced what I would call one of my first big heartbreaks. Um, and I wouldn't say breakup because we weren't together, but that's a different story for a completely different time. Um, and I remember like, you know, I, I think at that moment I decided, you know, it was 2000, it was 2010. And I was like, man, I need, I need structure in my life. I need to change something. Um, and uh, it just so happened that in that time frame, a buddy of mine, uh, Connor, who is still a great friend, also a veteran, he served his time as well. And uh, he was like, hey, Paris, uh, we're graduating soon. I want you to, can you do me a salad on it? What's up, man? I got you, my boy. And he's like, hey, can you come with me up to the recruiting station? I'm going to go talk to the Air Force recruiter and see what options they have up there. And I'm like, hell yeah, man, I'm going to be your wingman. So we go up to see the recruiter at the joint recruiting station and there's nobody there. And I'm like, hey, man, you said that you were coming up. And he's like, yeah, well, the, you know, they have times posted. So we look at the times. Um, and I'm like, okay, bro, we'll come back tomorrow. We might've just missed him, but it wasn't actually outside of the service hours. It just weren't there. And so we go back the next day and uh, sure as day after school, there's nobody there. And then um, I'm like, bro, we need to make an appointment. So like call this number on the door, make an appointment with him and like, we'll do the thing. So we, we're in the station. He calls the number and we hear the phone ring and we hear an airman answer the phone. Like, hello, I'm for his recruiting station. This is staff sergeant, whatever the heck. And I'm like, there's totally a dude in there right now, bro. And he's like, whatever. He's like, yeah, I'd like to make an appointment to come by. And they're like, okay, come by tomorrow at the, around the same time. So I'm like, okay, cool. Um, and so we come back that third day and nobody's there. And I'm like, bro, this is crazy. Is this what the military is about? Like, we had an appointment. This guy, I could hear him in there. There's nobody here. And so we're sitting here and we're just talking trash about how uh, this system just didn't make any sense. And I'm like, bro whatever we'll do it again and we hear from the end of the hall like what are y'all doing in my hallway we look down and I, I can still see the like the framing like i can still see the like classic movie framing where the hallway goes all the way to the end um and there's a marine at the end of the hall like what are you doing in my hallway and i'm like oh we're, we're here to see the air force sir he's like well they ain't here come on down and talk to me um and so it was a marine it was a staff sergeant and dress blue charlie's and uh, Staff Sergeant Butler at the time. And I mean, I can still see his face. I see that moment so clearly. And uh, man, he, he and his team, he, he had us from that day. And he talks to us and he's like, yeah, the Air Force isn't here. The Marine Corps, though, now we hear every day. We hear all the time, <laughs> every day. Come see us. Come chat. With 
He's like, oh, you want to see the Air Force? I got you. Well, you talk to them. You got to take the ASVAB. I tell you what, you take it with us. It's the same test for everybody. We're like, oh, okay, that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good. Got us good, right? We take the ASVAB with the uh, Marine recruiter. Got a 92. Connor got something crazy high too. Like, well, you know, uh, you know, it's Friday, so uh, they they're not gonna be until Monday. But I tell you what, come to PT with us. See what everything's about. And I'm like, okay, bet, bet, bet. So we get up on Saturday. We come to PT over here. It was RS10 Tavern, by the way. So, like, I'm from Philly. And uh, the 10 Tavern's just a crazy – like, at that time, it was crazy because, like, they just had such a great team of, of Marines there that just knew what they were doing. They knew what they were there for. And yeah, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Um, no, for those good. who don't know, um, who aren't Marines, 10 Tavern is – literally where the Marine Corps was started. Oh, yeah. So the yeah, symbolics yeah. With of, yeah, like what bad. Tun Tavern is. Uh, and so that's literally the epitome of the Marine Corps, which you didn't know that either while you were yeah. like going no, through No, at 0%, 0%. And it was crazy because like, so I didn't know anything about like, Philadelphia being the birthplace of the Marine Corps and like had no clue. One, I didn't even know there were Marine crews in this building um, until I saw a Marine in the building and they were like way in the back, like out of, there was like the Air Force, the Army, then the Navy, and then a long stretch a fountain, a bunch of more stretch, and then the Marine Corps. So I was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. But yeah, we went to a we went to a pool function, which is where the uh the soon to be or hopeful hopeful Marines go. And uh the short version of that one, it was an absolute slayer of a PT session. I mean, like legitimately, it was the most exhausted that I had ever been. And I mean, in 18 years, I'd done some some uh, construction work and things like that. Um, I was I was I had gotten into working out, um, but I had never been so smoked, right? I never w- run so much in my life. In fact, we ran, it was from where we were at the recruiting station down to Center City in Philly. It was six miles, essentially, mostly downhill, right? Um, and then we run up the art museum stairs, the stairs from Rocky, which is uh, an experience. As we're running down to downtown, there's like this giant water fountain right in front of the art museum. We like jump into it. And mind you, there's like, it's like a 50 man pool, right? So it's just like a bunch of us just like running into the street, jump into the street. There's like road guards everywhere. It was, it felt like chaos at the time, but it was so organized and controlled. They jump into the fountain. It's a spectacle where everybody's screaming, ah! We're like, oh, I love this. This is crazy. They're tripping. I'm like, this is shock. We jump into the fountain. We run up the stairs. He gathers everybody around. He says, we got everybody. We good. Count off. One, two, three, four. They all fall in. He gathers around. He says some motivational words. And he's like, all right, let's go. And then we just literally turned around and ran six miles back uphill. And I was like, oh, my Lord, cheese. My heart is going I'm done. I'm done. But that wasn't even an option, right? It never crossed my mind. He was like, don't fall out, capers. And I'm like, yes, sir. Right. And um, yeah, so we run the six miles back up and we get in there and, you know, he calls it, he calls the detail to attention and he marches them and he halts and let's face and all this silly drill stuff that I was like, oh, I didn't get any practice. I'm just like elbows and kneecaps. Everybody's sharp and crisp. And then he's like, fall out. I'm like, oh man. So he gathers everybody around. He's like, what you think? And I'm like, that was good. He was like, all right, well, you keep on coming back. And then, um, you know, we'll see if you still want to go talk to the Air Force. And I was like, damn, man, where's my boy? I look around like, where's where's my boy at? Where's Kanzi? And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, he's back there with Staff Sergeant P. And, uh, you know, long story short in there, like, Connor was a big guy, right? Connor's super strong and very, very fit. But his cardio game was completely, it's just different types of fitness. And mm-hmm. so, um. I didn't see Connor all that weekend to hear from him all that weekend, nothing on Saturday, didn't answer my texts or calls, didn't hear from him on Sunday. And then on Monday, I see him at school, like at the end of the day, right? And I'm like, hey, man, what happened? He's like, bro, 
that was not it. <laughs> I'm like, where were you? I didn't see you. He's like, man, for those of us who like didn't stay with the pack, they made us do push-ups at every streetlight on the way downtown and every streetlight on the way up. So he still had to finish the run, the 12 miles that we ran that day uh, down and back. But then he had to also do a hell of ton of push-ups. And I remember thinking like, I like this, right? I remember, I remember the belonging of that group. And I remember looking at those men. I remember looking at that team and, and they came from those places. I know Stewart and Kellum uh, came from those places. Purifoy was from there. Um, he was from West Philly and that team was just so curated specifically. And, and you know, it's, it's a value add for the service to have recruiters in a community that they, they feel comfortable in that sees them as part of it. Um, but I, I remember thinking, especially growing up where I came from in North Philadelphia, um, I remember thinking like, these are positive role models. These are people, these are men that are good examples. And in my childhood, I had been raised in a home where alcoholism and abuse and violence and, 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 and mediocrity were profoundly everywhere. And so to see a very positive role model, influencers, coaches, um, they were giving everybody a fair shake and literally changing lives. I, it was just, it made perfect sense to me. I was like, this is where I want to be. And of course, you know, the Marine Corps culture that the Marine Corps is good at the recruiting thing. The Marine Corps is good at explaining the culture and understanding what honor, courage, commitment are. And I'm like, those sound like things that I want to do. That sounds like me. I want that. And, you know, we've talked about this before just a lot. And I think we had a similar experience, especially when it came to like our interaction with recruiters and how, um, eye-opening it was and almost like wow like this figure can be a fatherly figure or this like that for lack of a better term like like here's a dad figure that like I I personally hadn't had and I know that like not that you hadn't had but in a different way like more in the again you can see the leadership from the get-go and the Marine Corps does it so well and it's they pick the right people to go on recruiting duty too and I fully fully believe that because it's it's more than just hey, you should join the Marine Corps. It's what are your needs and wants out of life? And this is how the Marine Corps can get it for you. Like this is how the Marine Corps can get it. And and so can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that your recruiters had a huge impact on your, your life. And like you said, I mean, they had the same skin color as you, and yet they lived this different life that maybe you hadn't seen. Yeah. And so that, that's such a, that's such an integral part of who I became. And I, I think back to literally that first moment where Staff Sergeant Butler was like, I see some stragglers. They're with me now. Those are mine now, right? You belong to me. Um, I, I think that I've shaped my life very, I've shaped my presence and myself in my Marine Corps career very heavily on those, those four men in that office, because that's on Pure Force, that's on Kellum, that's on Stewart, or Sergeant, and then that's on Stewart, and that's on Butler. Um, they, their approach to recruiting was no nonsense, right? They, they told us that it wasn't going to be easy. They told us the straight truth. And then specifically, my specific recruiter, recruiter Stewart, like he was, the father figure that I needed, right? And I, I was raised with my father. I lived with my dad. And and I I would see, I saw and as I was a young man that my father had the the opportunity and he had the capacity to be resolute, to be uh distinct and to be present and commanding. But his his personality was he was very intelligent, very learned person, but his his personality I felt had been 
changed by his environment right you know and I, he i think that because of our his family history and and the experiences that he had he was more reactive at this point right he was i i found out much later through a whole host of experiences after he passed that he was a very profound thinker he journaled i found so many of his notes about all the things that he wanted to do as a business person as a young man as a young parent but he never communicated them in a way that were tangible to me as a as a child as a young man um and but but Steph Sergeant Stewart he was so eloquent he was so capable of speech he spoke what needed to be said and he made those truths out loud and that just it it just it set me up i think as a communicator as being public affairs like we were now as contract it set me up to be a drill instructor because it showed me that there is a level of eloquence that is capable of from someone like me and he never lied to me right he always told he told me the whole scoop like hey when you go to boot camp it's going to be like this when you graduate boot camp and go to your mos school which at the time was supposed to be artillery i know a bunch of artillerymen it's going to be like this you're going to be in the field and what i needed at the time as a young man what i thought i needed and i think that i did was I, right i needed struggle to make myself who i wanted and needed to be in the world um, because I felt that I didn't have enough character and, you know, he always, it's crazy. Like I, he would say like, yeah, you're going to get plenty of character in artillery. Like the Marine Corps is going to give you a good bit, but you're going to get plenty of character in artillery. And I'm like, heck yeah, that's what I need. I need pain. Right. Um, and you know, the time frame was where it was, right. We're, we're in 2010, you know, the war in Afghanistan, um, all of that opportunity to experience that adversity and, and have my, I, I, I think about it often, right? And I think that young people and adult, young adults need that their proving moment, right? For me, that proving moment was going to the opportunity, very likely that I was going to go do something bigger than myself. I was going to go struggle in a conflict that was greater than me. And that's what I needed at that time. And um, it just so happened that the time, the context of what I ended up doing in my service changed. Um, but he as a person never lied and he told me the straight truth. And so all those horror stories that I hear about like, oh, my recruiter screwed me. And I'm like, I'm sorry to hear that. I suspect that the actual truth of this is that you weren't listening. Maybe you weren't asking the right questions, right? Um, yeah, I, I agree. Cause I was, and, and not saying that it never happens. Cause obviously it I'm does. Sure. the, the, yeah, the yeah. Marine Corps is not perfect. Marines aren't perfect. Um, but I was the same with my recruiter. My recruiter never lied to me. Like he was so yeah. honest. Like, and it was crazy. Like, even as a female, the conversations that we had that like, I never expected to have, but again, in such a dad way that I had, again, never had yeah. a conversation of like, I think like, because I was in the delayed entry program for a really long time. Like I waited five Same. months and then was five months to enlist. And then was in for 11 months because I wanted public affairs, um, which mm -hmm. you didn't even know was a job at the time. And we'll talk about Zero that percent. in a second. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I remember like, I think it was like only like my second or third boyfriend and like he found out and he was like, I'm not telling you what to do, but understand this, that no, no man, boyfriend or whatever should affect any choices you make in life. And you've already wanted to, you know, to join the Marine Corps to do these things. So don't allow it to impact you. And it was just like, damn, you right. Like I wasn't going to, but like, thanks for having that like, conversation. Thanks for saying it out loud. Thanks for exactly. saying the quiet part loud. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and yeah, it, that it's, it's that, right. I, I remember I, you know, we talked about it before, but uh, to reiterate for this, this one, I remember thinking to myself, like, I always felt better around them. And I, I, I was, I think that I've always been like 
observant as a young man, as a person. And I would watch the people that they surrounded themselves with. You know, part of it is part of their job because they're recruiters, but I will watch them interacting and I would see these young men and women becoming the best version of themselves. And of course, you know, that the recruiting cycle where you send a you send a, a pulley off and they come back a marine and they're killing it, right? Like Tun Tavern made rock stars. When there was a recruit then when the when a recruit came from Tun Tavern the platoons, the drill instructors knew, and they came back honor guard. Like they came, they came back guy. They came back squad leaders. They came back high achieving in their platoon, which in the context is just such a small part of what it means. But it was a reflection of how much work and effort this team put in, right? They would legitimately, it was so competitive that they just wouldn't ship people. They're like, you're not putting in the work. You're not shipping. And so I legit, like, I remember I was sitting in there one day doing some stupid paperwork um, after school because we would just hang and, you know, they, they're like, hey, bring your friends up here. Let's see if they got what it takes. And I'm like, I'll bring my friends up here. I got friends. I got, you know, but I legit, like, there was some guys that like, they were like, nope, you're not shipping. You're supposed to ship next month. Nah, I'm going to send Jackson instead. Jackson's here. Jackson's in the pool. Jackson's putting in work. Jackson's teaching drill. Jackson's showing people how they're going to work on their uniforms. They would show these poolies, these young men and women, the skills that they would need to succeed. And they would keep them in the pool as long so that they could teach them. Not because they were like, oh, we got to make mission. We, get, we hit three this month. Let's call it a break, right? They're like, no, that person's going to succeed. That person's ready. Let's send them. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember, I, be, we were talking about them being father figures, and I, there was a time when I was a young man where I was screwing around in school because I was tired, I was bored, I didn't want to be there because of a whole host of reasons. Um, um, not one of, not the least of which was like my recent, uh, you know, break heartbreak or whatever. And uh, I remember I was living with my aunt and uncle because of some things that had happened with my dad because of you know crime and all this other stuff, the things we had going on, and. Uh, my dad, uh, because I was screwing around, my dad, you know, he got more active and he came and picked me up. He would come and pick me up from school every day and we would go down to Temple University. We would go to the one of the libraries down there. Um, I think it, I can't even remember what it's called. I think it was like ah, whatever. We would go to one of the libraries down there that we had access to as an open library. And he would come pick me up every day and would take me there. And I would he would take me there and he would supervise me like doing my homework. Right. We'd hang out. He'd read. And it was the most time. Honestly, it was the most time that I spent with my father ever like ever as a young adult and i was so mad at first i'm like why are you doing this like, i want to be my friends he's like no that's not what you need this is what you need this is what's best for you and you don't know it yet but this is this is going to make a difference and you're going to talk about this one day and i'm like i will never tell this story to anybody and you're telling <laughs> like, it now on a podcast <laughs> i know and i'm like i will never say this to anyone i will this is insignificant like i hate you and he's just like okay well hate me while you finish your homework and then hate me while you do that thing. And then hate me while you do that thing. And then you can hate me on the way home when I go to drop you off. And then you can hate me tomorrow. And I'm just like, this is stupid. And I look back now and I'm, I, I realize that that level of, of resolution, right? And him being so resolute and profoundly present in that moment and what needed to happen, I would see that from those Marines every day. He had a purpose. And Stuart showed up every day with a purpose. He had a job to do. And my father in that moment, he's like, I need to help my son be his best person. I need him. He needs to be, he needs this person right now. And I, I always thought that like those men who made me a Marine, who gave me the opportunity were the young men that my father was before his own struggles and his own tribulations that ended up in my eyes. Ooh, I'm not going to cry. Um, don't no, you want that I, I mean no I'm good today last um, time I was crying so I, yeah yeah 
Um, but I, I saw them and I, I don't think that I knew it right then, but I, I, it just felt right that I saw in them the young man, the younger man that my father was before his struggles changed him the way they did. Which is, especially, so now as a parent, like even reflecting back oh. on that and seeing that moment and being able to, like your trauma and what you experienced is directly in effect because of like their trauma. And it's such yeah. a, a whole, and we're not really going to talk a lot about like that. Okay, I was like, wait a minute, but, <laughs> let me adjust my notes here. No, all I'm going to get at is, so it was very similar to me in regards to that dealing with my childhood trauma and, and, um, that was an effect of, because of the trauma that my parents had had and just right compounding trauma. And for me, that's where the Marine Corps was so powerful because for the first time, one, I was allowed to talk about my trauma because it seemed like almost everybody that I interacted with in the Marine Corps had gone through some sort of adversity before even getting to the Marine Corps. And then you face all this adversity that whether you're a Marine that went 10 years before or 10 years after, there's so much adversity you have to overcome to become mm-hmm. a Marine that it creates an instant bond. 100%. And it's something that can't, you know, can't be unmatched. And like one of the reasons that like I am so grateful to have you on the podcast and to like be talking to you and like sharing our story, because I can honestly say that like because of you because of you and our relationship at Quantico, that's why the Marine Corps was such a positive for me. That's why I was able to be my authentic self in the Marine Corps, because I didn't have this fear of, um, and I don't blame my recruiter, but you know, like the thing that at least for a female that was said, it was like, you only have three choices of how you're going to be, and you have to choose it from day one. And you pick that. Um, And I'm not going to go into what those are. If you know, you know, Um, I, I will say the Marine Corps has changed a lot. And I don't think that it, it, it is the way it is because even when I was in, it was, I could be goofy, right? I could, I could be myself. I could talk about these horrible things that could happen and have the support or at the same time, I could have friends that were males and didn't have to worry. And then if somebody looked at me a certain way or said a certain something, I didn't have to stand up for myself because you would, because Jefferson would, because Duncan yeah. would. And how impactful that like moment is and those moments are in the Marine Corps that you can have these relationships that it's like, wait, I can count on these people like when I need them all the time. And at least for me, that was different than how my childhood was. And, and, it, I, uh, and it's, it's so, I mean, again, it's, we talked about it before, but like, I think that the profound thing for me is that when we were at Quantico, I was 18 years old, right? I turned, I turned 19 at MCT. Right. And so, um, when we were at Quantico, I was 19 and I was such a young person, right? It's so it blows my mind. Like, I think I look at 18 year old kids now, like young men. And I'm just like, I, I have, I was a drill instructor. I had recruits and I look at them and I, I, especially like as a senior, I look at them and I'm like, man, plus six months, I was that kid. And I, I mean, there's a bunch of them who, who I actually still have, I have contact with because I see, I saw them, right? You, you, you see a picture of your face on them. You're like, I got to make this person something. And I think about how, I think that it's such an interesting dynamic because you, you had this thought and you had these ideas in your mind that you projected or that as you observed the world. And I remember, and I took I take those things from you as a leader in Jefferson, a leader who were older than me by a margin, right? I think you were, you were at, I think at the time you were like, tw- what years were that? It was like, you were like 22 I was to like 21. 20, 21. I, I was 20 at 
Dimfos. I turned 21 at, at the schoolhouse. So when we were at the schoolhouse together, I turned 21. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so you're was, 22, 23, 24. Yeah, which it felt at, super at, old. Like I know. To you, and to me, but I then was not like, really. <laughs> I was like, man, they're such adults. <laughs> like I remember, I was like, man, I need to be an adult. And I legitimately like. It's so funny. I, I wish I could go back in time and meet you guys as young adults, because I feel like, you know, after we separated and whatnot, like, I feel like I just became a Jefferson Bartley. I became an Anton, Antoine Tab, right? Because I was like, that just makes sense to me. The, the people who they were, the people who you guys were and who you are just made sense to me. And so, like, I, I feel like as an adult, like, as a truth sayer, right, I modeled that after who I saw as you. Because, you know, you have the you have that personality where and that that set of morals and ethics where you're like, that's not right. That's that's not what we should do. That's the wrong answer. And let me tell you why it's the wrong answer. And then um, I, I did that for a while and I got like a lot of heat about it. And I'm like, OK. I understand that it's a developed habit. It's developed muscle. You have to stretch that muscle. And then I was like, well, Jefferson's real smooth. Jefferson says a lot of smooth things, right? And I was mm -hmm. like, hey, what if I like take this, this very up in your face, obvious truth telling position that Tab took and I meld it with the underlying smooth talker uh, DC style of uh, the, the great Antoine Jefferson. And uh, I found that that has been my success. And I, I think about all the successes of the leaders, my peers, and all those persons ahead of me like you and, and, and Lewis. And um, I, just, I, I just think that it's such an impactful thing that as a Marine, you know, they say, like, you'll learn from every leader something great to do and something not to do. And I, I appreciate you, right? I'm grateful for you because it gave me the position. It gave me the strength to be the man and the Marine and the father that I am because I'm like, okay, what do I want my kids to learn? What do I want them to be? I want my kids to be able to speak the truth, to speak their truth and be comfortable in who they are enough that no one can change that. They are so well-rooted and loved that they will believe what they need to believe in a way that is functional for them to make it through life and succeed. Um, and it's, it's, it's a set of skills that I think that because of the conflicts of the people who joined the Marine Corps, we're all this big melting pot of trauma. And we're like, hey, I'm going to learn how to navigate this. I'm going to take this thing from Tab. I'm going to take this thing from Lou. Okay, I see uh, Duncan deals with his stress and traumas like this. Ooh, ooh, uh, Melanie Moses. Okay, all right. I got some things, right? I'm pulling these pieces from different people. And I I just cannot imagine. I literally, I'll, I'll do something and I'm like, that's such a Moses. Especially now, like, you know. <laughs> I, it's it's so funny now as a, as a gunny, I'm just like, I'll see, I have kids and I'm just like, man, hey, I could give you the answer 100%. I could go walk you to the water like Duncan, but you know what? I'm looking at you. This is a Moses moment. Hey, I literally gave you the tools. You're going to figure it out. And success, right? Different different strokes for different folks and different different Marines in different ways. But I I don't think that I would have found that anywhere else except for the Marine Corps, you know? And you, and you talked about it earlier, you were originally supposed to be artillery. Like how oh, crazy that your life was so molded from this thing that you didn't control. Oh, and, gosh. and so, uh, you weren't artillery, you were a defense information school graduate, um, gang, gang. Affairs. so can you tell me a little bit about that, that mindset? And then you've already talked about how those leaders have impacted you so much, but like, just like even that little change, right. Not even just joining the Marine Corps, but not being the oh, MOS gosh. you thought and how big of an impact oh, that had. 
So, so, uh, my, so my, because Tun Tavern had such a great pool, they could be very selective about who they would send. And so I remember one morning, it was a Saturday morning. It was supposed to be PT. And I, at this point, I had been in the pool for over a year. I, I was in so long that I had to leave the pool and come back in in order to continue. And then I ended up staying in even more time. Right. And, uh, I got that. Call. I missed the call. Cause I was like cleaning and showering and getting ready for the day to do something stupid. I don't even remember what it was. Um, I had some, it was after I graduated some stupid plan. And I, I, I heard the phone ringing by the time I got there, it, they had stopped. And I see, it was like, Oh, I missed a call from Stuart. And then, um, I was like, Oh, well, if it's important, he'll call back. So I'll go back doing whatever the heck I was doing. And then I hear it ringing again. And I walk back over and I'm like, he probably about, he probably wants me to go to PT and I look and there's a second call. And I was like, okay, well, it's obviously important enough for him to call back, but I'm pretty sure it's because I'm not at PT and I don't want to call him back. And I had the phone in my hand and I was about to put it down and he calls me a third time and he's like, I answer it because I'm like, mm, he will show up because he does. He's done that before. He would just show <laughs> up and be like, get in the car. I'm like, I don't have clothes. He's like, here's a shirt. Here's pants. Get in the car. We're going to PT, uh, which I loved and funny. I was like, man, this is literally kidnapping. I'm into it. Um, But yeah, I answered the call and he's like, hey, Paris, Capers, how you doing today? And I'm like, I'm good, son. How are you? And he's like, oh, great. Hey, man, you're still you still want to go to boot camp, right? And I'm like, yeah, I have my ship date. I was going to go January 2011. I was going to go be artilleryman. I was super excited. I thought that that was where I was going to get the most character out of the Marine Corps that I felt that I needed. And I felt like that was that was going to give me what I needed because I felt comfortable in the other parts of my my personality. He's like, oh, great, great, cool. Hey, uh, question. Do you want to go to boot camp today? <laughs> I was like, um, uh, well, I, I just graduated. I don't got anything going on, really. I'm just working jobs and, and biding my time. Uh, this was in like September of 2010. He's like, great. Um, I'm on my way. I'll be there in five hours. And I'm like, oh, well, I got to let my aunt and my uncle, my mom and my dad know. And he's like, that's cool. You got five hours. I will be there. I'll pick you up and we'll head out. And so I go and I tell my, uh, I go downstairs to my uncle, my uncle Thomas, who's, who's passed now, you know, um, he was an army vet. And so he got it. He did a bunch of time. He got out and I go downstairs after that call. And I'm like, um, Hey, uncle. and he's sitting in the kitchen and he's smoking a, a cigarette. We'll call it a cigarette. So he's sitting in the kitchen and he's got a cigarette and he's just, Hey, yeah, what's going on, Pat? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, uh, so, you know, I'm joining the Marine Corps. Right. And he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, January, 2011, real proud of you. <laughs> Uh, what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, so I just got off the phone and um, I'm going to boot camp today. And he's like, oh, for real? <laughs> Good luck letting your aunt know. And so my aunt wasn't very supportive of it. She wasn't happy with the choice at all. And he's like, hey, you got to let her know. I'm not dealing with that. And so, <laughs> and <I'm here. laughs> um, yeah. And, and so I, I ended up calling her and telling her, and she's like, what, why would you do this? And I'm like, this is why I got to go. This is why I got to go. Literally, this is 100% why. Um, I'm doing this because I don't want to be here. I know that this is not the most valuable, productive thing that I could do with my life. And fact, factually, because I don't want to go into academia, I don't want to be a student, I don't want to go to college. That's not, I am not prepared for that from a character development standpoint. I'm not ready. I need something different. And that's why. And, you know, she didn't fight me on it. And so I get up with my mom. I call my dad and I let him know, like, hey, look, I'm leaving. He's on his way back. He's going to be here by this time. You guys going to come see me. Uh, if not, that's cool. I'm going anyway. And, uh, yeah, so I, I I get in the car. He shows up. I get in the car. Everybody says their goodbyes. And then we pull off and we get to the corner at the end of the block. And he hands me a stack of papers. And I'm like, oh, what's what's this on Stuart? And he's like, all right, check it out. Um, the other dude, there was a guy get up there. He got shipped. Well, he got up there to be shipped, and then he goes to the moment of truth. He goes through all the processing at MEPS, 
over in Harrisburg, which is five minutes away from where we live. And um, he's like, yeah, the guy got up there and he gets to the moment of truth. And they're like, hey, all right, everybody, this is the last chance. If there's anything that you didn't tell us, if there's anything you didn't say, this is your last chance. And if you don't tell us and we find out, it's over for you. Um, but if you tell us right now, we can make it work. Everything will sort out. And the kid's sitting there and he's sweating bullets. And he's like, I just imagined this, right? Because I wasn't there. But this is the recruiter telling me um, after the fact, because he had to go get the kid. So it's been 10 hours for him, right? So he had to go get the kid and bring him back. And so he gets up there because they didn't tell him why. They just told him he was DQ'd. And then so he called me on the way back with the kid in the car, obviously, because the timing has to make sense, right? So he's like, yeah. Um, the kid gets there and they're like, hey, what happened? He's like, I don't have any tooth enamel. And they're like, tooth enamel? He's like, yeah, the, the outer layer of your teeth that protect you from you know this, that, and the other. I, I was born without any. I'm sorry. I should have said something. And they're like, we don't even do that exam. We don't even check for that. That's not a DQ item. But because you didn't tell us and you didn't disclose, you're DQ. You'll never be able to join the military ever again. Goodbye. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, what's this paper for, Sarn? Why we got the stack of paper? And he's like, all right, check it out. If you're going to ship today, if you're going to ship today, I need you to go open contract. I need you to, I know you want to be artillery. And I was already like, sorry, stop the car. And he's like, no, listen, we're not stopping the car. Listen to me. Stop. Listen. And I'm like, I, I don't want to, I don't want that. I want to be artillery. And he's like, no, shut up and listen. You don't need to be artillery. But I know you don't understand that right now. But I'll tell you what, I already pulled something for you. I'm going to give you 10 grand signing bonus. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be good. I'm like, sorry, I don't want to be a cook. I just don't want to be a cook. I We've talked about that. He's like, I can't guarantee you that, but I know enough people that that's not going to happen to you. Your score, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but the chances are, he's like, no, you're going to be okay. just, I need you to go today. And if you want to be a Marine, you're going to take this open contract. And I'm like, I want to be a Marine. So I'm, I'm like, we're driving and I'm just filling out paperwork. Shh, 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 shh we get there and i mean like it's you know how much paperwork it is and i'm like okay here you go sorry he's like put it in the folder put it in the manila envelope um and uh, we get there and he like goes to see the medical officer and he goes to he's like stay sit here don't move and i just see him like sign this sign this keep with me the guy's taking a picture of my face put your thumb here he's like he's already in the system let's go let's go let's go and i it was the craziest time like I remember that day and I remember like sitting with this other dude who ended up being in boot camp with me. Um, and he's like, uh, Marine. And I was like, hell yeah. He was like, hell yeah, brother. Uh, everybody else here is our, cause we were like, uh, the, the MEPS, the MEPS is like joint, uh, joint services. And so we're surrounded by like people are going to be airmen, army, um, like uh, Navy and whatnot. And so the, uh, Stuart's like, Hey, you're good. Thanks, man. You're, I'm, I can't wait to see you. You're going to be a great Marine. I got to go, but I'm going to be in contact, right? You got my information. So I have like a little envelope with like all his stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. Got it. And so I get to boot camp. That was an entire blur. I was open contract. And then I get to the point where they're like, hey, they're doing MOSs. And I'm literally in the line. And he's like going down the line. He's like, um, uh, Bertholomew, uh, AAV crewman, Brixen, AAV crewman, Capson, AAV crewman. Capers and I'm like I'm about to be an AAV crewman. Hey yo, he's like combat correspondent. I'm like what the heck is a combat correspondent? And he goes through the rest of the platoon. He's like, what do we? Wh what questions we got? And I'm like, sir, this recruit has a question. He's like, what? He's like, what's a combat correspondent? He's like, I don't know. Shut up. I'm like, okay. Um, but honestly, like you know the I I it it was it was partly luck. Um, I think that I I I I attribute 
the success that I had and the option to fall into the field to the time that my father, my father spent like very recently slaying me for the whole academic year in high school. And so my vocabulary was great. My mechanical skills were great. My clerical skills and all those things that I would needed to have that high ASVAB score um, that happened before I was actually even in the depth, like that was required. And so when I finally took the test, I, I did great. And so being open contract, somebody, something looked, somebody was looking in the system was like, oh yeah, LAV crewman, wait a minute. This guy's got a 92. Let's put him somewhere. What's got a good score requirement? Yeah, let's just take a chance. And honestly, it's just been the greatest, uh, the greatest happenstance that I've ever had, right? I like where else, what other job in the Marine Corps, no less, but anywhere, could I get paid to just talk to people, right? And it just fit me, right? I'm an extrovert, like it's my jam. Um, and, you know, I, I, I loved talking to you about it when we first met and whatnot, because I was like, oh, yeah, how'd you get this? Um, and you're like, oh, yeah, I went through the screening process. I waited. I didn't want to go to boot camp until I got screened and they weren't ready for me. And I'm like, damn, that's crazy, yo. I signed some papers on the way up here and a guy had no tooth enamel and I fell into an open contract. And you're like, how was your interview? And I'm like, interview? What interview? <laughs> you're like, you didn't do an interview? And I'm like, no, man, I just showed up here. They just told me where to be. Which was one of, and Courtney, Courtney's here at my house and she was the first episode for this podcast. But that was one of the things that we had talked about at the time. Uh, the public affairs MOS combat correspondent was one of the only ones that you had to actually interview for two yeah. rounds before you could even get that MOS. So it's so like, they were lucky that like, you're so good at like you and that your personality, they like they chance. really were, they, they, they did, took they a took chance. a chance because it, it worked out very, very well. And it's, it's funny. Cause like your career and like the MOS fits you so well. Um, but like you were, you know, at Quantico, you were so like gung ho and the whole same moto oh just cause gosh. like, so gung-ho and so moto and it was so funny that like everybody and even you had like this idea of what your career path was going to be where it looks like because you've actually now made the decision to get out of the Marine Corps and I want to mm -hmm. talk about that and that decision but just kind of an overview of your career well after I left Quantico while I was at Quantico I got the call about where I wanted to go next and I was like I want to deploy because I felt like I felt like at a non-deployable unit in a time of war, wherever I went next, I wasn't going to be ready. I wasn't going to know enough. And so I got the opportunity to go to the 13th Mew to deploy with them. And I showed up and I was like, man, I'm afraid because I've been a non-deployable. I got here to PFC. You know, I, I did some things and some cool stuff that I think are cool, but like my friends are deploying to Afghanistan. My friends are doing the play. My friends are in Fallujah and all these other places, right? Um, and I'm here doing being based public affairs. And I felt like I wasn't doing enough. I didn't know enough. So I spent that time learning about the Marine Corps, the MAGTAF operations, learning how to be the best in my craft that I could. And um, when I got to the Mew, I just took over, right? It was the perfect timing. It was just the, the, the perfect storm because the people who were there were transitioning out because of the rotation of the Marine Expeditionary Unit, right? It just, it just happens. It's a natural cycle. So I showed up and it's me and some other people who were like, I'm out of here, my guy. It's all you, big dog. And uh, it's me and a lieutenant at a certain point, um, Lieutenant Soto, shout out to Lieutenant Soto out there. And I, I, had, I was a freshly promoted sergeant, everybody else PCS out of there. And at a certain point, it was just me, my corporal who had just deployed and he's like, I'm on my way out and this lieutenant and I had nothing else to, but to figure it out. And I'm, I remember thinking to myself like, what would Bartley do? 
And so I, I tried to teach her as much as I could. I remember being in meetings where there's like random staff sergeants trying to tell her what to do. And they're not public affairs. They're like, yeah, PAO needs to do this. And I'm like, ma'am, tell them they're not in charge of you. That's not their job. That's our job. Don't tell them yes if the answer is no. And she's like, but it's on capers. I'm like, no, that's no. That's not it. Don't do that. That's not their job. I'll tell them. And, and so while I was there, uh, you know, the, the commander uh, at the time, General Henderson, well, Colonel Henderson, now General Henderson, you know, um, if you ever get to see the shout out, sir, how are you today? <laughs> <laughs> He's on his way, right? He's doing, but yeah, um, you know, they, they recognized that I had that capacity. I joined the color guard. I was the NCOIC. I was a single Marine rep for that unit because I wanted to be so involved and, and, and make up for what I felt was my shortcomings as a Marine. And it was a killer. I ended up becoming a color sergeant. Um, that was a great time and all that good stuff. That was a whole bunch about the Mew because I loved that time. It was just great. I, from there, after the Mew, I ended up going to spend some time at one meth being a, a MAGTAF planner. So all the things that I had learned and experienced at the Mew, I built the training curriculum for PAO for at the, then they changed the MOS to like mass communication specialist, but I built the training program because I had experienced it. And I was like, well, these are the things that we actually did out there at sea and here's how it worked. And so here's the skill sets that a, a MU or MAGTAF operating like this would need. And so I, because I, of the work that we did, because Staff Sergeant King and Captain Villiard taught us such great things because the ComCam team we worked with was so well-trained um, at the time, Sergeant De Jesus, Sergeant Burrell, Sergeant McKelvey, Gunny Williams, all those Marines were so competent and capable and did what they needed to do. I learned so much. And so when I got back, they were like, hey, can you help train the next Muse? Can you build the curriculum with the Expeditionary Operations Training Group? And I'm like, hell yeah, Will. Um, I'm going to go be a drill instructor in eight months, but I got time today. Um, and so I spent the I spent the eight months building that curriculum, doing the training workups with the Mew, and that Mew killed it. That 15th Mew after us, they were like, I still, that standard that I saw them living at is so high. And they were like, yeah, it's because of you and the training that one meth did. And I'm like, that was tight. I enjoyed that. And so I went to be a drill instructor. Uh, that was a great, crazy time. And that time and frame in itself just has, that, I could talk about that forever. Uh, but we were really in this critical juncture of change, right? And everything that I've experienced in the Marine Corps in this short 13 years has been change. Um, you know, we, we had such great strides in the Marine Corps from the perspective of culture shift and, and, and willingness to do something different. And I think that the Marine Corps is somewhat behind in its cultural adjustments that are required looking at the average culture of the nation. Um, but I watched it happen as a drill instructor, right? My first cycle was a three-phase model. So I um, I showed up as a new drill instructor and I trained recruits the way that I was trained as a recruit. And as a new drill instructor, they're like, just run and scream and yell at them. And I'm like, okay, tight. And they're recruits until the last day. And when they're Marines, you don't care about them, they're gone. And so that three-phase model flew by and I'm like, heck yeah. And then they were like, hey, gents, four-phase model, new process. They're going to be Marines at the very end for this two weeks. And I'm like, but they're recruits. And they're like, no, 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 they're privates. I'm like, mm, but they're still recruits. And they're like, no, 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 they're privates and PFCs. Treat them as such. And it's like, mm. and my my thing, my experience there was, there's a God, there's a, so much more involved there, but it was a great time, and it was another opportunity for me to impact and impart change, not only on these young Marines who were myself at that time seven years prior, but it 
it just it's the ultimate gift for everything that I had received as a Marine, right? The opportunity to, to meet people like you and, and Lewis and, and Sergeant Height and all those other Marines, right? Zahn, like, oh God, Mass Sergeant Cardella. Oh God. I'm surprised you're people. just now bringing him up. <laughs> oh, God. Um, that time as a drill instructor was fantastic. And I, I gave back and that's what I wanted to do. And then I found that I realized that I had spent so much time away from my family, right? That time, though, I was here in the States, I realized that I had given up so much of my life away from the thing that I cared about the most. And I never, I never really projected. I never really saw, even though at this point I had a family, my wife, and I had kids um, at this point, by the time we were leaving, I had two, my youngest being like just barely a year old. And I realized that I didn't really know my wife because I'd been away and I hadn't really known my oldest or my youngest child. And, and so I told him like, look, I need some time. Like this was a hard tour for me and I need to go be with my family. And so they're like, you know where you can go get your breather? 2MEF. 2MEF will give you some time to catch your breather. It's the operational pause for the Marine Corps, allegedly. And uh, plot twist, that has not been true. <laughs> that has factually not been true. And again, it's just a matter of change, right? The Marine Corps is shifting and different commanders and the generals have different views. And so 2MEF is operationalizing the way that it does so many different things. Again, another, another time in my life where that change is driven by a number of things that I could talk about for a long time. And so this period of time has been very actively engaged. And I found that what I care about is my family. And I wanted that life. I wanted the life where I could experience that time with my family and have no requirements other than that. And so while I was a drill instructor, I, when I returned, when, there's a certain part of the cycle where you do a little bit less as a drill instructor, especially as your senior. Um, and so we discovered the world of financial freedom and investing and real estate. And to me, it was like, there's so many people talking about the freedom that these things give. And I was like, they were like, what is freedom? It's like, the, if freedom is the opportunity to just wake up, stay home with your family or take them wherever you want. And I was like, I want that for me. And uh, although the Marine Corps has done so many great things and given me so many opportunities and taught me so many skills and brought me friends like you that are going to be friends for life. I found that the statement that one day when you wake up and it's not fun anymore, it's time. That's what I found. I found that I was in a position where I was unhappy because I was away from my family. Not that I was upset with the Marine Corps or the military in general. There would be days, but overall, it was, it's been great. But I care about my family more than I care about the story of the Marine Corps. And I find that at a certain point, if I don't recognize that, I become toxic. I become bad for the Marine Corps. I don't want a Marine. I don't want one of the Marines or one of the troops or somebody that I run across like, that guy's got a bad attitude. Why is that? Oh, he hates it here, right? Because you, you know those people and they're not pleasant to be around. And I never wanted to be one of those people. And so the advantage that we've had, though, is that we started – we started it, right? My wife is, is so intelligent. She's so smart and she's so patient and she's so kind. And she understood that when I came to her and said, babe, 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 I just listened to something about real estate. Let me explain to you how we're going to do this. And she was like, let's hear it. And I laid out this very basic plan about how we were going to acquire rentals and we we're going to do fix and flips and we're going to buy homes and yada, yada, and it was going to pay us and then we could do whatever we wanted. And the Marine Corps would be an option instead of the answer to, to all those financial worries and things like that. And um, she's like, okay, well, let's do it. 
So we started back in 2019. And uh, at this point where we are, we're actually, it's, a, it's actually a completely additional conversation about the shift that we're taking right now and, um, and how we're getting after that. But yeah, we're, we're heavy in the real estate game. I'm also, and now I'm an agent in North Carolina. So, you know, my pitch is always that I help people achieve their dreams by buying, selling and investing in themselves and real estate. And for me, it's about the way that this 13 years led me to a point where I had, I learned those things and I was like, oh, okay, now I have options. Now I have better choices for who I am as a person. I had the entrepreneurial spirit. I just want to be with my family. I don't want to have to go to school. I don't want to do anything but be with my wife and kids. And um, yeah, that's the reason I'm leaving is because I want more time with my family based on the business that we've built that provides us the resources to do those things. And that's something that, it, you know, in further episodes of, of this podcast, we're really going to dive deep into women's health, raising a family oh, yeah. in the Marine Corps. You guys were dual military. So we're also going to bring both of you on to talk about being dual military and then the transition out and then what you guys are doing now. So we definitely will be talking way more in depth of those things because it's, it's, again, it's a whole nother like it's a whole it nother hour of conversation and things to talk about. But I think that like the bit you said, we're not wanting to be toxic to the Marine Corps because essentially your experience has changed and something is now more important than the Marine Corps. And I think we need to acknowledge that more in the Marine Corps, that there That's is true. a point that like, if you can't change the, the effect that the Marine Corps has, which that's something like the time that you spend with your family, there's not much you can do as a Marine to change that. There's, there's really not, you have obligations, you have time commitments. That's the, the honesty of it. So that means even if you're at 13 years, then like you said, it's, it's time to get out. So it doesn't become yeah. toxic. So it doesn't become this huge negative impact, not only on your life, but everybody around you. And so, um, I, I think we'll leave it at there because we're, again, we're going to have you on, on the podcast again, so that we can talk about what you've done to reach that freedom and to be able to be with your family. Uh, but before that, I want Kenzie to come on and tell her story because, you know, I'm a huge advocate. Super I come, uh, yeah, I come from a dual military as well. And it's so awesome to see each individual Marine story and then how, how you did it together, because that's just a whole nother, like, whole again whole nother, oh, man. Whole yeah, nother man. thing 100 <laughs> percent. it's gonna be like hey here's this story this there's just so many things and I, I think that you know i i think that you're just gonna have a wealth of content i'll come back as many times as you would let me awesome like all right until people are like <laughs> all right i don't want to hear that story i hope like someone's like i want to hear this story like i'll tell you this story let me tell you why it's important let me tell you what this means to me and how it might help but i think that all that goes back to like you know, there's obligations, things like that, but really like it was a cultural thing, right? And as a Marine, like, I think that good Marines or the best Marines want to do more. And that's why we came in the first place. I wanted to do more. I wanted to have an impact. And sometimes that impact is greater. The things that are required to make that impact, it, it requires sacrifice. And I was willing to sacrifice when it was just me, because that's what I wanted from my self, and I was willing to sacrifice when it was for recruits or when it was for the unit, right? I spent my time doing that, but then suddenly my, my time is valued by my family, by my wife and my children, these little people, these beautiful little girls that my wife blessed me with. And I see in them the opportunity to create great things like I think that my father saw in me. 
And, and so I saw that, that one critical juncture where he was like, I'm going to help you do the thing that you don't even know you need to do in a way that is valuable. And I think about that every day about how when that, when my girls are doing something and they're learning something, I'm like, I'm going to teach you. And, you know, Kenzie, I, I'm sure you guys are going to talk about it, how like I'm always teaching, right? And it's the drill instructor in me. It's the father that I know, Ooh, I'm not going to cry. It's the father that I know my father was even though it was hard for him because of his experiences. And, you know, that is a literal murder mystery story. Like I, you can't see it. It's off screen, but I have a docket, right? I have a folder of my father's journal notes about what happened to my grandfather and what happened in the, their lives. And that's a whole like generational trauma story that I said that I will never repeat. I will not allow that to happen. I'm going to teach my girls this story and teach them to create these things that will keep that from happening and, and have them develop those skills. And if they choose to go into the Marine Corps, so be it, right? It'll be their choice. But I know that for me, I didn't have the choice in the same way, right? I needed something. And so my options were limited. And, and I think that's the perfect segue of if you had to make that choice again, would you? To join if the I had to make that choice again, I 100% would. I can't imagine getting to this per, this level of, of capability, of comfort with who I am, of, of knowing based on my exposure to such great and grand and, and willful and capable personalities like yourself and Lewis, who are all so different in such beautiful ways, I couldn't imagine being this person without those experiences. I couldn't imagine being this person without like the joking experience of being a, a, a I, I know 18 is an adult, like, you know, by the numbers, but like I, being a child around such grand people and growing up in a place that is going to teach you self-sacrifice and through that sacrifice of yourself and others and seeing what that does to people and changes the world. Like I realized like, I can do a lot. I can do hard things. I say that to my kids all the time, right? Um, and I would absolutely make the, I would absolutely take the oath again because it made me the father, the husband, the man, the Marine that I am. It made me the business person that I am. It made me the drill instructor that I was. Um, and obviously some of those things are very specific to service, but I can't imagine who I'd be if I hadn't done it. And I, I can't thank you enough, one, for sharing your story on this podcast, but more- more so for me, you know, this first season, I wanted to interview people that had an impact on me. And I, again, we, and now I'm getting teary eyed, but I don't think I can thank you enough for everything that you did for me and the relationship and the friendship that we had. I mean, it's just, it's hard to explain, even though I was older than you, there were times that I felt like I was the younger sibling, right? That I wasn't, I wasn't the older one. And the, safety and security that that friendship brought me in the Marine Corps. And again, I know we're going to have other discussions in the podcast, but to be able to be a female and not have a concern that I'm not alone and to not have a concern that like knowing nothing was going to happen to me in your presence and in the presence of, of our, our family and our group at Quantico, I don't think I can thank you enough for that. Um, and I really do like, I am a lot who I am now because of because of you and our friendship. And so I thank you so much um, for joining me today for the friendship and, and the impact that you had on my life and that I know that you've had on so many Marines lives. Um, I, I feel like 
feel like when we publish this, we're going to have so many comments of like, actually, here's a challenge to anybody listening in those papers. <laughs> I need you oh, to comment no. on social media, the story and the epitome of like your, your like caper story, because I feel like everybody has this amazing the caper, caper story. story. Oh, God. <laughs> so I can that's see, the challenge. <laughs> I can hear some of them now, like close with this. Right. So I, we, my wife and I, you know, in the investing space, we, we, we started a new venture. We joined a, a community, right. Cause we found that we were missing community. And as I transition out and some of the things that Kenzie is certainly going to talk about is community. Right. And so as a transition out, I realized like I need more community. And so I started reaching out to a number of investors and some groups that are built into this particular system. And it would, you would be, it would not, it, you might be surprised, but it seems so natural to me that I ended up meeting this guy. His name's Tracy. Shout out, Tracy. I told you I was going to shout you out in the podcast today. Um, but uh, I meet this guy and he's a Navy veteran, right? And he's a, he's a person, he's a, he's a black Marine or he's a black service member like I am. He's a veteran. He served his time. And like, you know, we just, we just meshed. And so we're starting this whole new journey of how we're approaching this thing. But like, I, I think about how that experience of doing something to extend and tell that story. I tell them like, Hey man, I've made my choices based on the idea of it's going to be a great story. And I, I learned that from the Marine Corps as a combat correspondent. Like I am telling a story. Every choice that I make is a story. How I interact and respond to other people is a story. And I think that in the journey of my success from nothing to everything and everybody along the way, I see it in the scope of the story. And so like, I love, I would love to hear some of those stories about myself, but it kind of like trips me out. Cause some of it, I'm like, that's a blur. I don't remember that, but it sounds about right. I remember some of those specific points where I'm like, that was crazy. Um, but you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity. This is the Oath We Took podcast, and you just heard a piece of Paris's story. You now know one more Marine and one more piece of the Marine Corps story. His service matters. His story matters. Not every Marine's story is the same. We didn't all join the Marine Corps for the same reason. What is the same is the oath that we all took. An oath that easily could have ended in death, and for some, it did. So listeners, instead of asking you to thank a Marine for their service, I'm gonna challenge you to continue to listen to their stories instead. I found that in the last 13 years, a lot of my choices has cost me these relationships. And so you asking me to do this, like I cried, you know, because, because I miss you and I miss all of you guys. And I realized that when you guys left, I was, I was, I had my head down, but when I finally looked up, there's nobody here, you know, and that's hard. And I, I know that your transition and everyone's transition is difficult. I, I went through it with Kinsey. And as I make that transition now, I'm like, holy shit. I wish that I was there more for Tab as she transitioned. You know, I'm sure Jacob and the kids were there and you've got a network around you in a way that you need. I know Courtney's there, but I know that it's hard. And so I apologize that I wasn't there. And I, I know that you can handle it because you can do hard things, you know, but I love you.